Warning, some of the language heard in this episode could be offensive to young or sensitive listeners. For the first time in over 150 years, a member of the Ohio House has been expelled. Representative Larry Householder says he's not guilty of orchestrating the $60 million bribery scheme. Householder, after the vote, maintained his innocence. I've never solicited a bribe. I've never been bribed. The largest corruption trial in state history begins today. The prosecution set up that they'll try to prove that Householder regularly called on First Energy to send in money. What the jury needs to decide whether $60 million was obtained in bribery or in regular political fundraising. From WOSU Public Media, this is The Power Grab, how dark money and dirty politics led to the biggest bribery scandal in Ohio history. I'm your host, Renee Fox. Over the last five episodes, we've covered many angles of the House Bill 6 scandal and its consequences, but there's more to it. More dark money groups, dark money donors. There are more sketchy connections between utility regulators and utility profiteers. And the criminal case is still open. In fact, on the day we recorded this episode of the podcast, there was a major development. Today, the former head of the Public Utilities Commission of Ohio surrendered in federal court. Sam Randazzo pleaded not guilty today to bribery and fraud. You remember Sam Randazzo from episode five? He was Governor Mike DeWine's pick to chair the Public Utilities Commission of Ohio. First Energy admitted its executives bribed him with $4 million just before he took office. But he hadn't been charged with a crime. That changed on December 4th. The Justice Department charged Randazzo with 11 counts. The indictment states he carried out First Energy's bidding in exchange for the bribe. And it accuses him of creating a fake identity to funnel money to himself from an industry energy group a group he worked for as an attorney and an executive director. Randazzo faces up to 20 years in prison. In the past, he's denied wrongdoing. On the civil side, investor lawsuits alleging the bribery scheme costs shareholders money are in progress. Attorneys are still getting court orders for depositions and documents and demanding records from people like Randazzo. And consumer groups are still waiting for the state's Public Utilities Commission to reopen their investigations, put on hold at the request of federal investigators. Ohioans are still paying for parts of HB 6, the parts of the law still in place. These are the tangible results of corruption, the consequences of politicians getting paid to legislate. In this episode, we'll look at some of those consequences. We'll see where the pieces landed, and here are a few more takes from key players in the case. But first, what the federal trial against Larry Householder revealed, and how the former Ohio House Speaker defended his actions. Episode 6, The Aftermath. Ohio House Speaker Larry Householder and Matt Borges, the former chair of the Ohio Republican Party, turned lobbyist were tried in January 2023. Attorneys for both said they did nothing wrong, but prosecutors had a lot of evidence. Undercover recordings made by the FBI, financial records, emails, memos, and lots of witnesses. 
Two were former co-defendants who agreed to testify for the state. Lobbyists Juan Cespedes and Jeff Longstreth pleaded guilty. They explained how they worked behind the scenes to coordinate funds and push for HB6. They testified against Householder and Borges. Longstreth's documents, spreadsheets of donors and supporters, emails and texts, showed the extensive planning that went into the scandal. Suspedis described how fat checks exchanged hands, how Householder's team would print documents, drafts of HB6 to share. Printing avoided electronic evidence of the documents being shared, an effort to bypass open record laws. Prosecutors said that of the more than $60 million used to make HB6 a reality, Householder took home half a million dollars. They said he used that to pay off credit card debt and fix up a house in Florida that was damaged by a hurricane. Prosecutors said Householder used about $200,000 to pay damages in a lawsuit connected to his failed coal ventures. Householder claimed the money was a loan from Longstreth. He presented himself as a family man, as a politician in it to make lives better. I am one of many attorneys for Larry Householder and friends of Larry Householder, which is his campaign committee. And I work on the civil law side, uh, specifically on campaign finance matters. That's Scott Polins. We heard from him earlier in the podcast. He stands by Householder. So, you know, bottom line, Larry Householder never, ever intended to commit a crime. Ever. He believes he's innocent. That's, you know, why he testified. There is no video or audio of Householder's testimony because recording devices were not allowed in the federal courtroom. Householder's criminal defense attorneys tried to convince the jury that Householder did nothing out of the ordinary, nothing illegal. Pullins feels that way. simple fact is that guilty people that are intending to commit crimes do not hire teams of lawyers. You know, you hire teams of lawyers to make sure you're doing everything legally and properly. Pullen said those lawyers could have explained it all. You know, throughout this process, he's probably had a dozen attorneys. Uh, there was a separate attorney that set up Generation Now and set up the super PACs, you know, throughout the HB6 campaign. Um, Neil Clark had teams of attorneys looking at what he was doing. You know, First Energy and First Energy Solutions had attorneys looking at everything. But they weren't allowed to testify. That's because doing something because an attorney said it was okay isn't allowed as a defense in a racketeering case. Pullins thinks there should have been an exception so they could testify about Householder's intent. Householder said his connections to utility companies were born of typical fundraising efforts and that being from Appalachia made his connection to energy production obvious. You know, you you go out and you solicit contributions from people that Uh, already support what you're already doing. Uh, Larry Householder had a long, long history of believing that we should be still generating most of our electricity in the state of Ohio. On the stand, Householder said he supported HB6 because it was a good law for, quote, Bob and Betty Buckeye, everyday Ohioans, that he believed in generating nuclear power in Ohio and that he wanted to save jobs. Householder tried to distance himself from Matt Borges, 
He said he and Matt Borges weren't friends, that Borges was a, quote, country club Republican, while Householder, well, he was just a country Republican. Householder said he didn't approve of the extreme tactics Borges was directing to support HB6, and that he didn't know about the bribe Borges paid to Tyler Furman. We heard about that in episode two. According to Householder, HB6 got started through a coincidental meeting at one of the biggest sporting events of the year. The Indians got him, and now Lindor pops it into right. And with this, Game 7 is going to the town. Householder said it was all very serendipitous that he had seats for Game 7 of the 2016 World Series, but it rained. Householder said he realized he'd probably be welcomed in a corporate box. He could hop in one and stay dry. It's rained like this already in this game. They played through it, but now they won't. And so we're going to be delayed. There's some heavier stuff coming. That's what they're anticipating. He said he stumbled upon First Energy CEO Chuck Jones, who he barely knew. But baseball wasn't the only topic of discussion. The two talked about how First Energy's power plants were struggling. Prosecutors questioned Householder about attending the games, and he admitted he didn't know how expensive the tickets were. Days later, Householder was emailing with Cleveland businessman Tony George, who appeared to act as a middleman in the interaction. Householder wrote that he was, quote, more than ready to craft a bill for First Energy. A few weeks later, Tony George arranged to get the gang together again. They flew on a First Energy plane to Washington, D.C. There, they watched Donald Trump's inauguration and attended the inaugural ball. This is around the time the dark money groups were formed. Pullen said Householder made a good case at first. I thought he did fairly well in his testimony. He did get beat up in cross-examination. Prosecutors dredged up a lot of evidence that contradicted Householder's testimony. Remember all that talk about saving the jobs of 4,000 people working in the power plants? Well, it turns out the first energy subsidiary that controlled the two plants was already going through bankruptcy, and they told the court they couldn't honor their existing union contracts. House Bill 6 squeaked by with one vote, less than 12 hours before that bad news broke. Federal Prosecutor Emily Glatfelter said Householder used his power as Speaker to hold the vote before that news was public. The Democratic lawmakers who supported the bill to save union jobs were mad at Householder. They felt lied to because they'd been told the workers would be protected. Householder denied scheduling the vote to get ahead of the news. But remember, they tried to requisition a state-owned plane to collect absent lawmakers for the vote. So they, they had five people that they needed to come into town today to vote on this, this HB6. So Larry went to the governor, said, they're not in town. I need highway patrol to go use the plane to pick them up and bring them in. During cross-examination, Glattfelter questioned why Householder could remember some things in detail, but forgot simple things. She pointed out that he only paid for that first energy flight to Trump's inauguration after the Dayton Daily News wrote about it. Glattfelter showed Householder evidence that he spent more time with first energy executives than he'd admitted to, that the meetings were less serendipitous than he made it seem. Householder asked the prosecutor questions and accused her of trying to insinuate things with her questions multiple times on the stand. 
He tried to dismiss the idea that he was central to the scheme, that he gave the orders. Glattfelter countered with recordings of Householder's own voice contradicting his statements. The federal jury took about 10 hours to reach a verdict. Householder and former Ohio GOP chair Matt Borges were each charged with one count of racketeering conspiracy, and both were found guilty. They now each face up to 20 years in prison. Prosecutors say he orchestrated that scheme with money paid by First Energy through dark money groups. Federal prosecutors today said that Householder sold the state house and betrayed the people he was elected to serve. They found Householder and Borges guilty of racketeering. That means they found Team Householder created a corrupt political machine funded by bribery, sustained through money laundering. Poland said he thinks the jury got it wrong. Juries get confused and, you know, it looks bad in appearance, but it's, you know, pretty commonplace for big organizations to wire money in and wire money out, uh, wire money to vendors and, and, and things like that. Poland said prosecutors overwhelmed the jury with evidence and made mountains out of molehills. Most of the activities that were examined were all legal activities. Wiring a contribution to a 501c4 organization uh, or to a super PAC is pretty common practice today. But, you know, when you take that to a jury and you argue it's money laundering, for example, and then you overwhelm uh, the jury with document after document every document. Pullins felt Householder didn't get a fair trial in a few ways. He thought the court made unfair decisions during the entire process. The defense couldn't bring in an expert to testify how, say, Mitch McConnell or Kevin McCarthy has allies set up 501c4 groups and super PACs uh, to show that these groups operated were very commonly practiced and legal. He thinks there were ulterior motives for bringing the case against Householder. This was a backdoor attempt to try to overturn the Citizens United case and its progeny. The federal government got in the middle of a political dispute um, and picked a side. You know, they're, they're trying to just scare the bejesus out of big donors to keep them from, from donating. and keep During sentencing, Householder asked for leniency and talked about his family, his wife and children and grandchildren. Prosecutors said he behaved more like a mob boss than a family man. Judge Timothy Black called Householder a bully with a lust for power. He quoted Householder's own words from a tapped phone call. If you're gonna fuck with me, I'm gonna fuck with your kids. The judge gave him the maximum sentence, 20 years. They took him into custody after the hearing. Poland's thought he should have been treated with special consideration. He put Larry in handcuffs in the courtroom and let him out. There wasn't even an opportunity for Mrs. Householder to hug him goodbye. And he went straight to jail. Those are things that you do for um, drug kingpins. Borges who prosecutors said got $350,000 for his role, was sentenced to five years. Householder and Borges are both pursuing appeals. Poland said he's hopeful for Householder's appeal, but the resources of the government are hard to surmount. You know, they have every resource imaginable uh, at their disposal 
they they spent millions of dollars on this prosecution. So how is Householder holding up in prison? You know, when you when you go on trial for your life against the federal government, uh, it puts a lot of stress on your body. Some of us, some of those guys eat some of that stress. So he had gained some weight. He's looking better. Uh, he's healthier. He's uh, losing weight. And, and those are all good things. But, you know, at the same time, uh, he and his wife just had their second grandchild. And he's not seen that grandchild yet. You know, the fact that he couldn't be there at the bedside um, and see his new grandson, his first grandson, being born is devastating. With the feds keeping their investigation open, the state's regulatory investigations are on hold. The Public Utilities Commission of Ohio, known as the PUCO, paused four investigations at the request of federal investigators. Consumer advocates want the investigations to move forward. Shareholder lawsuits against the company have. First Energy investors are suing the company for damages. They argue bribing public officials hurt the value of their shares. Attorneys in those cases have successfully subpoenaed records and move the cases forward even while the federal case is still open. Just a few weeks ago, in November 2023, attorneys in one of those civil suits asked to depose Lieutenant Governor John Husted. They subpoenaed records from Governor Mike DeWine. One of the things they were interested in is his daughter's run for a county prosecutor seat. That's following reports she got money from dark money groups connected to First Energy, like her dad. WOSU asked DeWine to participate in the podcast. His office did not follow up on requests for an interview. It's certain DeWine benefited from First Energy's practice of throwing money at politicians. But it's important to note that when Neil Clark spoke about it in secretly recorded conversations with FBI agents, he complained that DeWine didn't do enough to help. Householder, on the other hand... But he went to work Sure. He wouldn't beat that to that. Right. He took two two point five million as a sophomore. But he went but he went head charging on. Right. The governor, when he knew that Larry didn't have his dose, ran away from it. Clark didn't like that. He expected those obligations to run deeper. People they don't want to be around because those kind of people are the ones that they weren't there for you. They were there to take your fucking money. Right. And when it's when it's easy to get it done, they'll get it done for you. Yeah. That's how it happens in art. When it's easy, they'll do it. When it's hard, they won't. Yeah. Only a few will go to the wall. The idea that a sitting governor has no clue that any of this is taking place, it does not pass the straight face test. It just absolutely does not. That's Tyler Furman. He's the guy that Matt Borges bribed. He went to the FBI and wore a wire. He's worked for several Ohio Republicans over the years. There was some knowledge there and that he just chose to kind of turn a blind eye to it and say, oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened, but I don't buy it for a minute. He knows how to appear that he has his hands clean and appear that he is just this kind, grandfatherly guy from Cedarville who throws an ice cream social every year. But if you analyze things a little deeper, you look at the teams that kind of 
migrate between guys like Larry Householder and Mike DeWine and who interacts with who and how they play the game. Um, I, I just, again, it doesn't pass the straight face test to say that he had no knowledge or was not involved in, in one way or another. Furman thinks the state needs to make fundamental changes. They need to look at anti-corruption legislation in the state. They need to look at changing the way that money in politics changes hands. They need to look at transparency. They need to look at ensuring that that dollars are accounted for. I think that would be a step in the right direction, but I'll be very honest with you. Dark money will always find a way to be dark money. And big donors will always find a way to get that money to the people they want to control. And that's how HB6 got bigger than First Energy's original ambitions. During the negotiations for the bill, other utility companies in Ohio smelled blood in the water. They realized what First Energy was getting, and they wanted something too. Catherine Terser with Democracy Watchdog Common Cause Ohio. At the end of the day, the House Bill 6 didn't include just this bailout for First Energy. It also included coal power subsidies. And so these are subsidies that you know, one of the coal plants is, is actually not in Ohio, it's in Indiana. The coal industry held sway with Householder. He told the jury the cozy relations were natural, a result of his connections to Appalachia. He got money from coal mining operation Murray Energy and executives with the Boich Company, a Columbus investment group with longstanding ties to coal and First Energy. Their CEO, Wayne Boich, has long supported Republican causes and candidates in Ohio. And American Electric Power, AEP, gave donations to candidates and dark money 501c4s. HB6 dished out subsidies for their coal investments, subsidies that energy consumers in Ohio are still paying for. Reporting by the Ohio Consumers Council found the coal subsidies have cost Ohio electric customers millions every year, more than $220 million since 2020, and the tally is still growing. Catherine Terser. They're still getting subsidies. This comes down to about $130,000 per day, and obviously this is distributed through all the ratepayers across Ohio. But if you start to think about like the cost of corruption in this particular case with House Bill 6, you can put a dollar amount on it. Parts of HB6 were rolled back after the scandal. In a settlement with energy customers, First Energy agreed to pay them back $49 million for charges they incurred while their subsidies were in place. But much of the law is still on the books. State lawmakers repealed the subsidies to the two nuclear plants, but they left the subsidies for the two coal-burning power plants. And like Terser said, all electric customers in Ohio pay. AEP gave hundreds of thousands of dollars to dark money groups that powered HB6 and campaigns friendly to their cause. Terser said the company found several ways of currying favor. They gave 50000 to the Ohio Governor's Residence and Office Foundation. And you might say, well, wait a second. 
you know, what what does the Governor's Residence and Office Foundation do? Well, you know, they make sure that the governor's office and, and residents are kept up. There's, you know, fancy meals, that kind of thing. AEP reported in a recent financial report that the company is cooperating in an investigation being conducted by the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission. The company denies any wrongdoing. A Democratic state representative introduced a bill at the beginning of 2023 to eliminate the coal subsidies. Republican lawmakers control the House. The bill hasn't moved. At all. Lawmakers also left cuts the law made to renewable energy and energy efficiency standards. Terser said that will have lasting effects. And by removing that, we are now a state that is behind the curve when it comes to finding good renewable energy, uh, setting ourselves up to get off of coal. And that means that we are a state that is adding to climate change. It affects our ability to breathe. So, you know, yes, you can put a dollar amount, but it's also costing all Ohioans. And for that matter, it's not like air quality from Ohio doesn't work its way over to other states. It's affecting so many of us every single day. Some advocates and politicians have tried to repair the state's failure to implement corporate separation to make sure energy companies aren't tempted to use their distribution customers to pay for the losses of their generation companies. Republican State Senator Mark Romanchuk introduced a bill in August, but that bill hasn't made any progress either. It was referred to the Energy and Public Utilities Committee, but hasn't had a hearing, just like the bill to remove the coal subsidies. I think that's what we're actually experiencing in Ohio, is that money is talking and money is walking. That's Hannah Halbert. She's the executive director of Policy Matters Ohio. They're a progressive nonprofit that researches the effects of public policy. She said HB6 exposed corruption, but the consequences of that corruption have been contained, stifled from rippling into broader change. Even when this deep corruption is exposed and there's a personal consequence happening through the criminal legal system, there doesn't seem to be a political consequence to that other than making Ohioans feel more detached, more apathetic, less in control because all of the scandal can happen and nothing happens with the policy or the rules. Politicians with power have little motivation to fundamentally change the system. They have a symbiotic relationship with donors. And when money equals influence, that means the highest donors set the agenda for lawmakers. The legislature can quickly pass tax policy that hands out a billion dollars to certain types of corporate entities. So you've got some sweet deals from the Ohio legislature, right? But to get a billion dollars put into something like childcare or food for kids or to public education, my goodness, it it's decades. It is, uh, we can't afford it. You know, there's all of these reasons why we can't do that. 
And I think that's a direct outgrowth of of money in politics. While it's illegal for a politician to take money in return for doing something for a special interest group, there's a thin line. A politician might get a donation from a company and later make a decision that was favorable to them, knowing that the money will keep on flowing if they do and that it'll stop if they don't. And even if there is a quid pro quo, they aren't likely to get caught. It takes a lot of resources to prove something like that. So influence gets compounded over time, making it more potent and more prominent. We can see that in Ohio creating this really negative feedback loop, right? So we have money coming in to get policy and rules changed through our political system that further benefits the the very uh, well-funded special interests that then go ahead and make rules that further consolidates power and further removes the actual representation from the interests of the individual citizens. This negative cycle is fed by politicians that face little pushback for those connections. There's no check. There's no countervailing institution, whether it's another political party or even, you know, a lot of times uh, labor unions, these large non-governmental entities could be that countervailing opposition to corporate power or this kind of unfair political imbalance. And without a check to have enforcement, to have accountability, you can do what you want. Tyler Furman said too often politicians fool people about their motivations, that they're driven by their own pursuit of power. They have perfected the ability to play what I what I refer to somewhat jokingly as like the Jesus, America, and apple pie card, right? They come across as these very innocent, kind, family-oriented guys who you know, oh yeah, I'm just so lucky and blessed to hold office and serve all of you. But if you dig a little deeper, they are at their core, the exact opposite of that card they're playing. They've just found a strategy to try and trick people into supporting them so they can continue to line their own pockets or get their way. Halbert said gerrymandering makes things worse. That's the practice of drawing district boundaries to benefit one party over another. Those same interests benefit from having maps poorly drawn so they can continue to get (laughs) the policy decisions that work for them. And without competition, there is no watchdog. There is no accountability. That drives lawmakers to the extreme sides of their political parties and detaches them from how everyday Ohioans think their lawmakers should run the state. We did polling, uh, did some modeling here at Policy Matters on issues that we write about a lot. We work on uh, tax, for example. And so we asked, do you support raising taxes on high-income Ohioans, so people who are doing really, really well? The idea was popular. Something like 70% of Ohioans are like, yeah, we support that. (laughs) You know, it's a fairness issue. People should pay their fair share. And you certainly wouldn't see that in our 
political discourse or in the budgets and bills that are coming out of the state house. Albert said all of this leads to a state that puts corporate profits over the public good. But it doesn't have to be this way. There's ways to make this work and to put people on level footing with corporations. The corporate interest and corporate power shouldn't trump that of the people. And, you know, it doesn't have to be antagonistic. It just has to be fair. Halbert said the state needs fair voting districts and more transparency. Transparency at multiple levels, especially when it comes to interactions with corporations. Corporations should have to prove they need a subsidy. They should pay a fair tax rate for the infrastructure they benefit from. Catherine Turser with Common Cause Ohio said the state's ethics rules need a big upgrade. She said the IRS needs to do more to ensure candidates aren't coordinating with dark money groups. She said state lawmakers should change the rules to require more disclosure from politicians and donors. But one of the things that we know is that good disclosure, good transparency, the ability to follow the money is constitutional. That means that both Congress and the state legislature can pass and should pass good disclosure so that we can follow the money, so that we can better understand who is funding these political advertisements so that they are not operating in secret. Prosecutors had hours and hours of recordings that weren't used in the trial, and plenty of the ones that were admitted as evidence weren't exactly relevant to the case. Neil Clark had a lot to say about life, like the mystery of the recipe for his grandmother's meatballs. meatballs. I want grandma's meatballs. So go to their place. The meatballs are made of meat, ground beef, lipton soup, brown sugar, And he often thought about power. In his assessment, there are three types. There's three types of power. Personality power, money power, position power. If we put all three together, you truly are a powerful person. But he said getting all three types of power on your side and at the same time isn't easy. The speaker seems to have a lot of it going on at the same time. The minds of others, it is, is, has position power, has money power. Doesn't have the personality power yet. Why? He is a hard ass. Seems like a good old boy, though. He is a hard ass. No, he lives in a world like you do. And you have this high expectation of the people that serve you. We all serve him. I work seven days a week from 7 a.m. till he goes to bed. There's also that time when undercover FBI agents asked Householder how much longer he planned to stay in politics. Clark chimes in, too. This is going to be your last gig? Oh, well, it depends on how it feels. Whatever I get tired or I get pissed off, I'll just catch him. How do you feel? Not going, he's not going to go home. He's not going to go home. He's not going to go home. He already has a number of Stoops. He's not going home. He's going to keep running and throw. They throw my ass out. Right. They haven't thrown my ass out yet. They tried. We're not letting him throw it. The team thought they'd be rolling on to the next battle, 
fighting to change the term limit laws to give Householder more time in the speaker's seat. They were already planning their next power grab. Here, Clark and Rep. J. Edwards continue that conversation. How many years do you think? 15, 16. We gotta make sure we gotta make sure we change the law. Not only Repercussions from the scandal will continue in appeals, civil court cases, and investigations from criminal prosecutors and state regulators. But democracy advocates want to use revelations from HB6 to change things now, to shed more light on dark money and the processes politicians use to hold on to power. But it takes an engaged public to demand that kind of accountability. And Catherine Turser wonders if that's happening. So I think there are voters that are just like, I I don't know what to do with this. You know, utility policy is complicated. So I think that's part of it. And we need to be really clear that the folks that use dark money are intentionally using this method so that they can hide from the public. She said if the federal court had allowed recordings of the trial, videos of Householder and other witnesses testifying might have gone viral. Imagine how different it would have been if we had been able to watch the trial. The news would have, you know, excerpts or there would be short segments of the trial on on Twitter or on Facebook. Imagine how different it would be. The whole ordeal deeply affected whistleblower Tyler Furman. He changed political parties. And I worked in GOP politics in Ohio for a very long time, for more than a decade. And... My party registration is different now. A lot of my political ideology and and beliefs on the way things are going within the GOP have changed. He left Ohio. He said the whole thing taught him something about the state of politics. It's turned into, how can I line my own pockets? How can I maintain power? How can I climb to the next rung? How can I make the biggest splash or get the most attention? That's not what it's supposed to be. He said the whole thing isn't just a case of a bad apple. It's a small sample of corrupt power-seeking behavior and how it flourishes without oversight. I think there is so much corruption related to dark money that runs through every vein of the political system in Ohio, all the way up to the highest levels. I hope that what has taken place with these two and the others involved sends a message But like Terser, he worries the intricacies of the scandal make it difficult for people to follow. People just ignore things. Like everybody pays attention to, you know, the news stories coming out of Fox News or MSNBC. They they run to their tribes, right? So it is extremely discouraging. That's Halbert from Policy Matters Ohio. Despite the challenges, she's still optimistic. We have to keep plugging away. We have to fight for this system of democracy against all of these odds. And ultimately, because we have one person, one vote here, people really can make a difference. They really can.
This has been the Power Grab from WOSU Public Media. Though this is the final planned episode of the series, this is still a developing story. Keep an eye out for updates. The Power Grab is a part of the NPR Network. It's written and hosted by me, Renee Fox. The show is produced and edited by Michael DeBonis. Audio engineering by Dalton Jones. WOSU's Chief Content Director for Radio is Mike Thompson. Nick Hauser is the Chief Content Director of Digital Media. Special thanks to WOSU Program Director Amy Jurovich, Radio Operations Manager Kevin Petrilla, and Digital Intern Nora Eaglenick. And thank you for listening. Help us spread the word about the show. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. Think of all the things you can do in 10 minutes or less. Scroll through social media, check your bank balance, make a sandwich, or learn about the surprising economics behind all these things. The Indicator from Planet Money is a quick hit of insight into the economics of business, work, and everyday life. Every weekday in less than 10 minutes. Listen now to the Indicator podcast from NPR.